Hi, this is the Organisational Success Academy from the Oxford Review, bringing you the very latest research in leadership, management, organisational development, design, transformation and change, human resources and human capital, organisational learning, coaching and work psychology from around the world to make you the most up-to-date and knowledgeable person in the room. Okay, um, I'm back here with Sarah and we're going to be talking about uh, an interesting research briefing around the characteristics of effective inter-organisational management mentors. So, uh, thoughts on just mentorship generally? Um, um, yes, I mean, I think it's interesting the dynamic, I guess, in the area both you and I have done work in the sort of situations where maybe we've been doing a bit of mentoring but also coaching and mm. the... Um, conversations I have in organisations about what is the difference between coaching versus mentoring? What purpose do they both individually serve? Is it good to have both? Is there an overlap mm. between them? And um, I think all sorts of conversations around not only where they work in harmony and how you can introduce mentoring and coaching into your organisation, but also as um, actually the particular research briefing um, that we're perhaps exploring a bit today, mm. talks about inter-organisational ma um, management mentoring, I think is particularly this one, but this idea of inter-organisational mm. mentoring and are there benefits that can be had from having a mentor that sits outside of an organisation as opposed to whether or not you should have a mentoring scheme within the organisation. And of course, all of these are these are options that often people are looking at and exploring. But Yes, yeah, and so, certainly in organisations that have seen and worked in they tend to look for mentors within the organization mm. rather than outside the organization yeah. one of the advantages of having people from outside the organization is that they're not involved in the politics yes so that they've got no stake in the hierarchy or they've got no stake in how this individual does from a political point of view within the organization yes it and brings I, a much yeah. more objective kind of viewpoints doesn't it I think feels kind and of cleaner yes and from the mentees perspective mm. which I always think is a weird word isn't it a mentee, yes, a mentee. sounds like a some kind a of chewy or soft mint yes. or something but, <laughs> but from the mentees perspective mm. if you like it's um I think it feels very different as well and um, yeah. the opportunity to be mentored by somebody that has alignment with perhaps your professional hopes mm. and aspirations and your professional development um, but has experience in different organisations is often, I think, of particular value. Yes. I know when I go in and work in organisations, one of the things that I get asked a lot is, so what about the other clients you work with? How similar or different are we to other clients? Mm. And, and people often find it harder, I think, to benchmark where they are as a leader or a manager against what leadership and management might be in a very different organisation, even if it's similar sector. Yeah. To, whereas they're perhaps better placed to be able to make that kind of assessment within their own organisation so yes I, th I think inter-organisational members bring a, a a wider perspective yes um because they've got a different experience yeah around that professional area um and and i, th I think that's hugely valuable mm. um i think inter intra-organisational members mm. come into their own with people who are trying to get to grips with the organisation and understand how to operate within the organization. Yes. And I think that's, you know, I, I, in terms of, you know, things like, as they call it, onboarding, but, yeah. you know, this, this, the, the idea of having some kind of induction yes. mentoring. Yes. I think the intra-organizational mentoring is very useful for that. Yeah. Um, but 
largely from what I've seen in mentors. And we, we've got a, a, a good friend, Michael, who wrote a book around yeah, the difference fit between mentor. Yeah. the fit mentor. Yeah. And it's a, it, you know, it's a really good book. Yeah. And, and that came out of some research that we were doing, yeah. looking at the difference between these things when we were at Cranfield. Yeah. To try and work out that kind of difference. But there is a, a huge overlap yeah. as well. And this is one of the things that comes out in this this piece of research. Yes, I think that you know one of the effective characteristics of a good mentor is yeah. a coaching yeah. ability, the ability to be able to ask good questions. Yeah, and facilitate. Yes, the the mentee, as it were. There's almost different dimensions, isn't it, that are worth kind of thinking about. I think with regards to mentoring um, within an organisation, is what's for what purpose is the mentoring taking place? And if you're looking yeah. at introducing a kind of a mentoring approach across the organisation. Um, and exactly as you're highlighting, there's the bit of visit about um, helping people gain experience and familiarity and a comfort and an understanding of the way in which we do things here. So mm. kind of organisational, um, helping them fit within the organisation and understand how it works here versus yeah. it's about their management and leadership development and almost opening it up and breadth. Mm. So there's always the sort of what's the purpose, if you like, or the frame around the, the yes. mentoring. And then there's the piece around, and what are the characteristics of effective mentors? So if you've mm. got the bigger picture perspective, what's your strategic objective for doing the mentoring? Then you need to think about, yeah. so which individual mentor, what characteristics or qualities do they need to have that mean the mentoring relationship is more likely to be effective? Um, yeah. And I think that's often where mm. there's a real overlap with coaching, because in my view, good mentors coach. Yes. So they have some coaching skills, if you that's like. Right. So and I think that's sometimes where mm. the the sort of blurring happens a little bit. Yes. And and there is and I, and I know some coaches are going to kind of throw their hands up in horror at this, but you know, that but that some of the effective coaches end up doing some mentoring yes. because they've got expertise in a particular area. I completely area. agree. Yes. And it's and maybe I think one of the things I found in discussing this more in with coaches and in a coaching mm. environment is that actually why would you hold back on sharing and bringing in skills, expertise and experience that you have that is of enormous value to your clients, to your coachee? Yes. Um, and that perhaps what happens, I think, a bit, certainly from my perspective, I have a bit of a, a view on the perhaps how much people get stuck in the need as a coach to only work with whatever the client brings and from a very mm. hands-off perspective if you like that it's only about asking open questions and allowing the mm. coachee to kind of um, discover their own answers and insights and mm. it's not that that's not enormously important and an enormously helpful thing to be doing but actually it only gets so far yeah. and that I can see why in coaching development mm. A lot of the initial emphasis is get yourself out of it, if you like, you yes. know, kind of put a mouth over, you know, put a hand over your mouth, hold back, <laughs> yep. say less, ask more, you know, those sorts of things, because we so don't do that normally. So mm. you kind of, you know, the starting point is usually that people tell more than ask more. Yes. But as you evolve and gain experience and skills as a coach, it seems limiting. So you'd be stuck only within that paradigm. Particularly if you've got expertise in that area. Yeah. I think the, the, the problem for coaches becomes how to manage those two different relationships. Yes. And I think that's the issue yes. largely because once you start to move into a, a mentoring frame, yeah, is how do you move back out of it 
how do you negotiate moving back out of it back into a more um a, a more objective coaching frame again yes yes and and that needs to be i suspect more more explicit yeah. with the with, with the client so but it's interesting the the the, the research briefing just going back yeah. to the research briefing this this piece here about the what the the so, so we're, we're talking about a, a study that was done um it was actually a kind of a meta-analysis of all the research mm. and this idea about um mentoring tends to fall into two types of basic categories mm. and um so the, the first category is this kind of career function mentoring and then the second one is psychological functioning mentoring uh, do you want to say something about the difference between those two yes and this is Perhaps interesting because sometimes I think perhaps people have associated historically mentoring with the career side of it and people would perhaps first recognise that as being, oh, yes, if I was to make a distinction, you know, we were talking about coaching versus mentoring, they might go, oh, the psychological bit's coaching and the career bit is mentoring. Um, and perhaps what this flags is, no, there is definitely overlap in both. So the career functioning being, I think, this idea that your mentor is somebody that has experience in the area within which you want to develop mm. so they would have for example more experience be a more experienced manager or leader so they could help mm. you become more effective within your role so it's much more role um, yes. oriented um whereas the psychological or in this term t- in the paper they talk about psychosocial functioning but it's this idea of how do you your skills and capabilities and understanding of yourself in relation to others and how the kind of psychological dynamics that are mm. playing out. So much more around the relationship, who you are and how you interact with other people around you. Yes. And things um, like how you manage to cope. Yes. You can help people, you know, from a mentoring point of view, of these are the kinds of techniques, these are strategies that I use for coping with overload or yes. coping with a, a, a bad incident or something like that, yeah. which is more what this is saying and that mentors can actually help on both sides. Yes. And so I think in the paper, they talk about this idea of almost counselling skills that, you know, anyone that's been in any kind of management or leadership role knows, mm. you know, actually there are enormous elements or aspects of that. Yes. And it's interesting because I know I often, um, I think this when, you know, I travel, both of us travel quite a lot for our work and things. And I know, you know, it's not unusual for me to be sat on my own somewhere in um in a restaurant somewhere, you know, with my um laptop up on the table enjoying enjoying something to eat, and then sort of you know, every so often as a as somebody who quite enjoys a bit of people watching and people listening, <laughs> you kind of tune in on some of the conversations around you and people who've kind of met up with their friends after work or with their partners and stuff sat on the tables around you. And I'm always struck by how much of the airtime if you like that people in there so this is after work kind of downtime relaxing yeah. it's actually talking through the psychological problems that they've experienced in their day at work yes, yes. So there's very little chat about what they did you know the kind of content if you like a lot mm. about oh and I had this difficult mm. conversation with so-and-so again today oh, and they've been really irritating me and and you realize actually how fundamentally important that is so it's interesting that they've pulled that out here that it was a really important part of what could be reflected on as part of an effective mentoring relationship. Yes, and it, it's it, and quite a lot of that discussion around sharing of stories yes. around that, and and a lot of mentoring actually is story based. Yes, where the mentor and the mentee share stories about what's going on. Yeah, and it's that kind of interplay of the the two different stories where 
actually both parties start to learn. Yeah. And you do, in telling your story yeah. about the situation, you start to process it in a certain way and you gain your own insight into make, you know, your own sense-making of mm. it. But then how it's heard and the bits that they pick up on them or that they choose to reflect back in the sharing of their own story all kind of enriches that understanding, doesn't it? So, yes, and I, th- I think that's quite important because that idea of being a storyteller and mm. using that as a learning process, mm. because actually what you're doing is you're, you're having to reframe it in a way and rethink it as in part, in part as part of the telling. Yes. And you start to gain, and I certainly do as I'm telling stories about things, I start to get more insight into something that's happened. Yeah as I'm telling the story to somebody else. And it's kind of a way of almost ordering it. Mm. And yeah. as you yeah, order yeah. the thoughts yes. in order to tell the story, you start to gain an insight from that. And that's a, that's a key part, I think, mm. of mentoring. I love that. I think that's what we should think about mentoring as a, a storyteller. I think that's a lovely... Because there's in what you're describing as well, there's a coherence that starts to come into play. As you are telling the story. Mm. So you are doing that sense making of it. Mm. You sort of have to bring a time perspective to it. You start to do, well, what happened first? And then what happened? And so there's a whole ordering of all of that that um, helps us make some kind of sense of it. Yeah. Well, this was something that I did for my PhD, DPhil. So it was around acculturation and how people learn to be like something as they, they join a society or they join a job so I was looking at police officers and how people are civilians before they become police officers and then very quickly they start taking on the kind of behaviors the thinking um, and the mannerisms Mm -hmm. you know and and within months you know you've taken somebody who you wouldn't identify out of uniform as being a police officer into you know you could identify them at 30 yards across Mm -hmm. a bar you know they look like, yes. smell like, think yes. like a police officer and how that happens. And, and one of the things that I found was that a, a large portion of that, not all of it, but a large portion of that is through stories. Yeah. And the stories that they hear within the organisation starts to change how they're orienting themselves towards that organisation and themselves yeah. and how they start to fit in through those stories, listening to them and telling stories. Yes. And and it's a, a lot of the acculturation process is a storytelling process. Yes. Um, there are other things like icons and, you know, just having a uniform or having yeah. a place to work together or those kinds of things then start to create that. Yes. Um, which is kind of outside of this paper yeah. to do with mentoring. But, yeah. But the storytelling is, you know, a hugely important part of, not just communication, but learning. Yes. And, um, I mean, it strikes me that actually a lot of, so I think there's some really interesting stuff around narrative and then narrative and how we use that to form our own sense of identity. Yeah. The small stories we tell versus the big stories mm. we tell, the stories that are told socially, the the narratives that are passed down and, you yep. know, through and across organisations and across cultures and you know at the kind of macro level right down through to the micro level yes. and it's you know it, it kind of speaks mm. to the way in which as humans we make sense of things our meaning making and our passing on of kind Absolutely. of wisdom and insight and sometimes not such great wisdom mm. or insight but some of the yeah. stories but the um and it i guess in terms of thinking about the mentoring bit it's quite interesting because one of the things that i think whenever people first start taking on the role of being a mentor they have their own 
version, if you like, their own story of what being a mentor is like. And that can be shaped by their own experiences of even, you know, perhaps historically having a mentor yes. um, or just their expectations and thoughts around some of it. But yeah, that's interesting. That, that Actually, there's something that this paper kind of highlighted. Now, I haven't yeah. thought of this before and, until I, I, I read the, the, the paper, was seeing mentoring as a as knowledge management. Yes. And that was interesting. Yeah. And that, that then links to another paper that I was looking at to do with storytelling and kind of, I suppose, looking at how to share stories across organisations. And it, it was about evidence-based practice, actually, this mm. other paper. And what they were saying was, so evidence-based practice is based around four things, if you want. Mm. So there's the research evidence, and it's kind of evidence-based practice is seen as an amalgam of, of four factors. So mm. what you do is you go off and have a look at what the current research is saying about the thing that you're you're looking at. Mm. Um, the other part of that is you look at the clients or the customers or the patients' feedback and their wishes and what they're trying to do. You're looking at kind of stakeholders, what, what the, their stakeholders are trying to achieve. Yeah. But a big part of um, of evidence-based practice and, a, and an area that's not been looked at very much is the experience of the practitioner. So you use the experience of practitioner okay. in a mix with the research evidence, the client's wishes and the stakeholders' ideas of what's meant to be going on mm. in order to inform best practice, I suppose. Mm. Now, when you look at a lot of evidence-based schemes, mm. they tend to highlight the research side of things yes. and minimise the other side. Or if they do involve the the experience of the practitioner, mm. it tends to be at quite a high level. So you're talking about a consultant or something, and they'll just use their experience. So it's individual experience. Now, what this paper identified, which was interesting and, and kind of connects to this whole mentoring thing, is that it's... It's that's kind of biased because it's only one person's experience. And okay, it's a consultant or an expert's yes. experience, but it's still biased and it's still subjective. And what they were saying is actually what you need to do is and, and they 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 I can't remember the term now, Mags, they're they're um anyway, whatever mm. the term was. Yeah. Basically what it was was having a kind of a, a focus group almost of people to pull out all of their experiences okay. and layer them so you can look at what the commonalities are and what the outliers are. Okay. And then what you've got is you've got a much more objective view of the range of experiences mm. and the layers of those experiences in order to inform your practice. Okay. And they, they were saying that you should really have these groups, these advisory groups, in order to work out what people's experiences are and not just the experts experience yes. and therefore making experience more objective because it's it's more identifiable you yes you know you're looking for the patterns in in other words and this kind of comes back to this thing about mentoring yes you know if you've got one mentor or one storyteller you know it, it seems to and, and this is the issue i've got with intra organizational mentors yeah. just having one mentor having an inter organizational mentor just adds another perspective to this yes in this collection of data yeah so what am i going to do and how am i going to behave how am i going to develop my role or 
cope yes. psychologically with these issues. Actually, that's a really interesting point. So there's, and it's funny because almost as you're saying that, I often encourage um, clients that I'm working with in organisations as part of their development to think about having multiple mentors and for different things, you know, you, who might be somebody that you think might be really helpful mm. in this particular area yes. or, you know, rather than thinking about one person. Mm. But I hadn't thought about it in, in because there's something in what you're saying about actually you might want multiple mentors almost with the same kind of purpose because they each mm. bring a different perspective. Yes. Um, and thinking about that, the diversity of insight mm. that you get actually adding to the richness of yes. your own development and giving you something broader. And and it maybe highlights the importance as a mentee, because I think that's an interesting bit. They don't touch on this in the briefing, but no. it's the, you know, what makes a good mentee? Yes. <laughs> it's the, um, mm. you know, how, how do you make sure you get the most out of mm. the mentoring um, and therefore being a critical consumer almost yes. of... An investigator. Mentor, yes, as opposed mm. to, because I think a challenge sometimes that can come with um, particularly intra-organisational mentoring is that there is a power dynamic, even if it's, yeah. and organisations are often, you know, they recognise the importance of making sure it's not perhaps within the direct, you know, it wouldn't be your direct mm. um, manager or maybe it being in a different part of the business. So you're kind of outside of the performance management framework that might exist. But there's still a very clear and obvious kind of power differential and um, a recognition of the influence that individual might have within the organisation and those sorts of things. Yes. And that there can perhaps be a tendency, therefore, for the mentee to be less critical. And I mean that in the sense of, um, you know, questioning and thinking about relevance of Mm. what it is they're gaining from the Yes, rather than being a passive consumer. Exactly. Or just assimilating. Yes. Um, you know what is shared with mm. them as if it's a you know yeah. the book about how you do things here and then just following that yeah and that's why I think what's interesting about this research is is this inclusion of knowledge management because knowledge management is actually yeah. meant to be an active process yeah. of not just storing and retrieving yeah. information just passing on like but yeah. investigating it yeah. and and trying to make sense of it in this particular context yeah. and, and I, I i think there's some work to be done on mentees mm. you know you know how do you how do you develop kind of a proactivity in mentees as an investigator of this whatever the issues that they're facing yeah and we are kind of you know if you're trying to solve a problem whatever it happens to be, you know, mm. if, even if it's a micro level, you've got a problem with a computer or something, you you do some investigation just mm. to try to solve it. Yes. But more complex issues like managing people, um, dealing with pe- other people's emotions yeah. and our own emotions really do benefit from having a kind of a multi-layered investigation of you know what are different people saying yeah and what is the research and having a more evidence-based approach yes um and and i I think sometimes organizations reach for quite simple solutions like a coach a mentor yeah assuming that's going to solve the problem yeah and and actually developing people in organizations so they're much more active investigators so they can get a range of of views yes will be more yes. useful. I think that's a really thought. good phrase, active investigators. Mm. Yes. So you kind of want them to get 
get curious mm. about these things and that probably means mm. talking to lots of different people and kind of asking yes. different questions and um that's right yeah and and from a, a coaching and mentoring point of view kind of pushing that and and helping that individual to become more active yes. in the investigation and look for other views yes is probably yes you know, so as a mentor you kind of almost mm. yes you know, what have other people think or thought or said about that to go away and have a you know ask some of these questions and things yeah. So I'm just looking at some of the... Um, should we have a look at yeah, the... Should we go through the factors? Because it was a factual analysis based mm. on uh, on a number of different types of analysis. And they, they came up with seven. seven different yeah. factors. Inside of each of the factors were a series of characteristics. So we'll, we'll just do these one at a time. Do you yeah, want to take the first the, factor? So the first factor, which accounted for the highest level of variance, so just over 18% of the variance with this one, um, so this was about their effectiveness as a manager, and there were eight kind of characteristics mm. that were grouped underneath this. So this was the mentor's listening skills. So unsurprising, that would come yes. right up there. Um, commitment to the program. So again, mm. you know, it's a really important part, isn't it? They're, they're committed to their energy, their time, all those mm. sorts of things. That's quite important, actually. I had a mentor once who... Mm. It, had a wealth of experience mm. but really didn't want to be doing what he was doing yeah. and it, the whole thing folded very quickly yes. because I got the sense that this person A wasn't invested in me wasn't invested in program yeah. and didn't really care what they wanted to do was get on with their own work and and I think that's quite a large mm. you know quite a large issue which comes under this factor of the mentor's effectiveness as a manager yeah you know just wanting to be part of the program yes Yep. And in fact, one of their um, one of their other ones is motivation to be a mentor, and I think that um, and it makes a big difference. Sort of almost feeling like you are personally sponsored by this person that they're really committed to you, the program, the approach. It matters enormously. I think it's um, not surprising that that came up as you know one of the most um, significant factors in terms of um, accounting for effectiveness. Yeah. And um, leadership capability. Yeah. Strategic outlook. Now that's that. I think that's quite important. That that kind of strategic outlook, because mm. you can get mentors who are very tactical, yeah. but don't have much strategic awareness yeah. of how it fits in the bigger picture. How it, yeah. not just from an organisational point of view, but from a a more global being a good manager point of view, yeah. because we're talking about manager mentoring here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, commitment to the organisation. Yep. Self-efficacy. And that's this confidence in your own abilities to be able to solve problems yeah. and, and deal with stuff that's uncertain. Yes. That, that kind of level. Yes. Yeah. And learning orientation, which is a nice one to have in there as well at the end. So it's interesting to see that. Yes. Yeah, so the mentor out. themselves have and a learning not orientation. Just the, this isn't about the mentee. This is, yeah, they were looking at mentor. Yeah. That they, the amount of papers that I look at yeah. where learning orientation is a key factor in all sorts of kind of effectiveness and performance yeah. related things. Yeah. And and I, it's in fact I was looking at some stuff to do with industry 4.0 and industry 5.0 yes. so we're moving into 5.0 we're moving into humans working alongside and collaborating with ro yes, robots with, yeah. rather because at the moment you in order to work with a robot, mm. the robot's got to be licensed to work with a human being. I didn't know. That, okay. Did you not know that? No. no I didn't realise that. How do so, they award the licence? Yeah. It? So, yeah, <laughs> so, it's based on its safety. Okay. But 
Um, so most robots in most companies, yeah. like large companies, car manufacturing things, what you'll find yeah. is that they're in, the robots are in cages so that the, the humans can't get in the way yes. and end up being welded or something yes. by the yes. robot. So they need it. So in order to work in close proximity with a human, mm. they've got to be specially licensed to show that the human can't do something daft and end up having yeah. the head cut off or something yes. like that. And um, what they've what they've discovered is that operating in industry four point zero and five point zero and six point zero is coming along, which is slightly mm. different thing. But um, that one of the the key indicators of people who will be able to work in these new workspaces mm-hmm. to do with AI, robotics and things is a learning orientation. Okay. And that's coming out of a lot of the kind yes. of research. Yes. Yeah. Which makes so. sense, doesn't it? It comes out in um you know, the research around what students want from their teachers, from their yeah. you know, it's yeah, so much about um I guess learning from others, this idea of that it's not that you reach a point where you're fixed, that it's openness. I mean, I guess openness to experience would yes. be a... that's part of that. Yeah, would be... In, in fact, we might, do a special, it, like, yeah. we might do a special thing mm. on learning orientation. Yeah. Okay, so the second, um, the second factor, which was explained about just over 11% of the variance of effective mentor kind of centres around the working experience of the mentor and their capability to be able to communicate this experience with the mentee. Um, Now, those characteristics are things like teaching skills and helping the mentee to acquire knowledge and skills. So these kind of teaching and facilitation skills, I suppose. Yes, yes. Yeah, communication skills, which... Yes, because it's one thing having all of those things we've just talked about a moment ago, but if you can't kind of communicate share and kind of facilitate a process by which those can be incorporated into the relationship yeah then it's no use is it it's, yes uh, it's absolutely. an enabler isn't it yes teaching skills yeah. yeah and and part of the teaching skills is going to be communication yeah. skills which yeah, is why different. they're part of the same factor mm-hmm. I, i'm assuming yeah um and then the other two are work experience and then proactivity of of the mental we've been talking about proactivity yeah. of the mentee but proactivity of the mentor that they're actually actively engaged in this process yes yes yeah and the third and the third one then so um this one was the mentor's ability to influence and sponsor the mentee so this was providing access to high level information so using their professional networks to help the mentee as well yeah and political skills and then powering the organization and sponsorship capability Yes, so the, the powering the organisation is quite an interesting one. That that that, that characteristics was, was around identifying and using power in the organisation as a as a manager because yes. they're, they're mentoring other managers, um, uh, but being able to identify it. So whilst it says powering the organisation, it's it's. I suppose, more of power in the organisation, okay. if that makes sense. Okay, yes, it does. Yeah. So sort of seeing it, knowing it, almost having a map of where power sits in the organisation yeah. and then being able to access that. Yeah, Is and that influence it. Influence yeah. it, yeah. So, so the, and, and a lot of those are political skills. Yes, I was going to say, they kind of, yes, you can see the relationship between all of those. Yes, there? Yeah. yeah. And so just behind factor three was factor four, which accounted for about 8% of the variance mm-hmm. of mentors' effectiveness. Um, and, and this is about 
the mentor's orientation towards the mentee themselves and their ability to be a role model as a, as, okay. as a manager. Yes. So the characteristics are there are um, altruism or the desire to help, um, accessibility, that they're available um, and they make themselves accessible to the, the, the mentee. Um, they're, clearly their ability to be a role model mm. um, in the kinds of things that you would want from a good manager. Mm. Uh, and and these these characteristics are important in terms of recruiting good mentors. Yes. You know? uh, and then the, the last two in this factor are concerned with the career of the mentee and then their own organisational credibility, mm. that they're not just somebody who's kind of, you know, nobody listens to or yes. you know, they've got no credibility yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Again, lots of these, you can see how they're interconnected, aren't they? Yes. Um. And then factor five was the mentor's empathy and emotional intelligence. Um, so this was found to be highly valued by the mentees. Um, and the specific characteristics that they grouped under that kind of area were emotional intelligence, um, empathy and coaching skills. So, yeah, which we've been, we were yeah. highlighting earlier on. Yes, that, yeah, yeah, good mentor does coach. Although it's interesting, isn't it? It always... Um, Brings a little smile to my face when I see. So it's emotional intelligence, and it's just there as one bullet point, and um, as, you know, if sort of small, as if it's like, oh yeah, just thing. emotional intelligence. Like so, so much in that. As a characteristic, <laughs> it's huge. Yes. But when you have but to it's go often down, used like that in the literature, isn't yeah. it? There's just like a little throwaway bit of, yes. oh yes, and of course, and they need emotional intelligence, as if that's one thing, and you could just pick it up off a shelf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. But there we go. I wish. Yeah. And the, the sixth factor um, was based around the mental experience and history as a mentor so what they've found was that um, people who've got more experience as a mentor their quality of their own previous mentoring themselves being mentored so um, and then a concern with providing a quality mentoring experience Mm. Um, when they looked at those factors actually that last one was more important than the other two Mm. this this concern with providing a quality because what they found was mentors who are concerned with you know, I want to do a good job here for this person, mm. tends to be able to override a lack of experience anyway. Yes, yes. It's interesting because in some ways, if you were to then thematically group some of these, you can really see how going across, I know they've done a factorial analysis in terms of um, um, impact on the effectiveness. So what degree do those um, influence the, the variance around effectiveness? But if you were to thematically group some of these, there's definitely an interesting strand here, isn't there, around kind of motivation, um, which which sort of picks up on things like the concern with providing the experience yeah. that they're available, and you could almost um, mm-hmm. cluster these in a different way that would. Um, this is why I think this is so useful, particularly yes. to people who are having to manage, so development within organisations, yeah. learning and development things, or HR, but also people who are trying to recruit mentors, yes. but also the mentors themselves. This is a good kind of aid memoir for their yeah. own development yeah it's really yeah. helpful because this mm. is basically saying these are the things that make a difference, make a difference. Mm. and now let's look at what's the most useful way we could thematically group these that mean your best you can really usefully think about how do i need to focus my skills development where am i strong where am i not so strong those sorts of things yeah. what do i need to um, be focusing on as a mentor and then the last factor then that the researchers discovered so it was a combination of um two main different characteristics so this accounted for 7% of the explained variance of effectiveness, but it was the least valued by the mentees, but it did show up as having a small impact. Um, and the first one was age. 
and it was about being older than the mentee mm. appeared to be effective. And the second one was um, other kind of demographic characteristics, so things like gender, socioeconomic background, um, race, education, those sorts of things. But um, however, it was a very weak finding. And the finding was that it was similarity that yeah. people seem to prefer. Yeah, people um, kind of like people who are similar or the place where they're aspiring to. Yes. Was, was another thing. Was that another factor as well? Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, together, all of these factors accounted for just, just short of 70% of the total variance of, of effective, effective inter-organisational management mentor, mm. um, which is quite high, actually, when you look at a factorial analysis. Mm. It's, 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 it's quite high. So... What that's saying is that there's another 30% that they don't know or yeah. they haven't found yet that explains what an effective management mentor, inter-organisational management mentor, you know, yes. what those characteristics are going to be. Yes. Um, and members can um, get hold of the research briefing. Um, they just go into the membership area and do a search for characteristics of effective um, inter-organisational management mentor and you'll get the, the full research briefing. Brilliant. It's okay. useful. Very useful. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? It's, it really consolidates um, a lot of research, a lot of research yeah. into a very useful um, kind of list of things that um, open up all sorts of, um, I think, opportunities for thinking about how you can shape your own development as a mentor and yeah. what you might want to look at if you're introducing mentoring in your organisation or reviewing an existing mentoring arrangement. Brilliant. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Oxford Review podcast. For free research briefings, audio and video research briefings, research infographics and a whole lot more, visit oxford-review.com. That's oxford-review.com. And please subscribe, rate and review this podcast. It would mean a lot to us to have your feedback so that we can make this podcast even better for you. Mm-hmm.